0: We're in this series that we've entitled uh, The Unexpected Guests. And uh, we've been looking at throughout the Christmas story different times where people came in and unexpectedly showed up and changed uh, the way people were living. Uh, And I've been telling stories of my life of different unexpected guests. So I want to end this series with one last story. Uh, When I went to college, I made the decision to go to Central Christian College of the Bible in Moberly. And, uh,. One of the things that they have you do nowadays when you go to college is they have you fill out all these different forms about who you are so that they can match you up with somebody to be in the dorm with you. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they they just, I mean, people lie on it, and it just turns out very badly for them. Uh, I remember uh, filling this out and getting a letter in the mail about a month later uh, saying that I would have these two guys be um, my dorm mates. I don't remember their names. I remember my mom uh, saying "You should call them and being the introverted that I am, I didn't call them. Uh, and w- turns out that when I got there I got there first and so I got to choose which bed I was going to be in and I chose which desk and which closet and I waited and waited and waited and, and they didn't show up. those two go- maybe if I had called them they would have come, but I didn't so they didn't come. Alright, and so I'm there uh, the first week of school as a freshman, the only person in my dorm room, which was really awesome because everybody else had like two or three people in the rooms with them, Alright, and so it was pretty cool to be by myself for that first week, uh, and about the last, the Friday of that first week, uh, I was going to go on a, a retreat that they had planned for all the freshmen, and I get this knock on my door, and it's a guy by the name of James, and James lives down the hallway. And his roommate has decided he doesn't want to be roommates with him anymore. And there's a reason for this, okay? I didn't know this, but there's a good reason for this, okay? James, his his alarm clock was this stereo, all right? And he had it turned up super loud, and he wouldn't wake up to it. And so it would go off at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and it would be blaring this loud song, and he would just sleep through it all. And so his roommate had gotten tired of it and threw that stereo on the ground. That's why he wanted to come be roommates with me. And I didn't know that, so I said, yeah, sure, you can be, I mean, I got a room to myself. Uh, and then as I come back from that retreat, in the room with us is a guy by the name of Eliezer. Uh, and it was not someone I was expecting. I, I, I didn't know who he was. He missed an entire week of school. I mean, who comes and, and starts school a week late of college? And so he came and, but Eliezer, he has radically changed my life. Like he has has impacted me in such a way that I am a different person because of him. And he's one of my best friends still to this day. And then sometimes in our lives, we have these unexpected guests that radically change how we view the world and how we live. In the Christmas story, we come across one last story where people are radically changed because of the unexpected guests that come into their lives. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to uh, open up and follow along with us. Uh, We're going to be reading the story of Christmas, uh, and it begins with the birth of Jesus in verse 1. And this is what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Uh, This is the story of Jesus. This is the birth of Jesus, and it's the most famous one that we hear over and over again. Uh, If you ever watched uh, Charlie's Brown Christmas, this is the story that Linus gives when he stands up on the stage at the very end of the movie. All right, so we've heard this story over and over again, and so I want us to kind of understand some things about it. The first thing is this: Luke, out of all of the gospel writers. places the story of Jesus within history. And so he mentions Caesar Augustus issuing a decree. He men- mentions the governor of Syria, which was Quirinius. All right. And so he, he mentions these things so that we can know where this fits in with the history of the world. And if we were to place a time frame on it, it's a probably about 6 B.C. All right. And so in the 6 B.C., Jesus is born and we have this census that's taken of the world. Uh, Joseph, because of the census, had to go to Bethlehem, and he decides to take Mary along with him. And sometimes we wonder why you would take a lady who's pregnant this far along with you, but we also have common sense, right, guys? I hope we do. If your wife is fairly close to being at the end of her pregnancy, you should not go on a trip far away by yourself. All right, and that's probably what's happening here. She's close to the end. He has to go to Bethlehem. It's not like it's a car ride down the road to Columbia. All right, it's a good ways away, and he's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And so he brings Mary with him. I remember when my second child was born. Her name was Hadessa, and and I had made the decision to have a fundraiser for the youth about three weeks after her due dates. And my wife typically goes over her due date by about three weeks, all right? And so we get to that day where I'm having this fundraiser with the kids, and I've been promoting it for months now, and she still hasn't given birth to our daughter. And so I decide, as the good husband that I was, to go to the fundraiser. And I went down a couple of blocks away, and I started to wash someone's car with one of the youth. And, and in the middle, right when we've gotten started working on this car, I get this phone call from Emily, and she says, I am in labor. And I said, okay, honey, I'll be home when I'm done. And so I hung up, and I went back to washing my car, uh, and about an hour later, she calls me back and says, no, when I said I was in labor, I really meant for you to come home then, not an hour later. So I can imagine this conversation, right, that Joseph is having with Mary. Mary, I have to go to Bethlehem. And Mary says, I'm going with you. Another reason I think that Mary probably goes with Joseph is because of what might be happening in Nazareth. You know, an angel came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to get pregnant. And an angel came to Joseph and said, hey, this is from God. But who believes them? I mean, if someone was pregnant and they said, hey, God told me I was going to have this baby, you would say, yeah, right, uh uh-huh. All right, And so it's very likely that Joseph, in this very small town, and Mary are, are dealing with the views of people who, who don't believe what's going on. Friends that are turning their backs on them. People that are wanting to have conversations around them because in that society, it was not looked highly upon to have a child like this. And so it's very likely that Mary and Joseph, they take this as an opportunity to get away from it all, to go to a place where no one knows them, to go to a place where no one knows their background or their history, and to just be away. And so they take up that opportunity, and they head off, and they come to the town of Bethlehem. And we read that as she gives birth, she lays him in a manger, this feeding trough for animals. And, and the reason why this isn't normal, okay? They didn't have feeding troughs, mangers for every baby that they had, okay? It wasn't normal. The reason why she had to do that was because so many people had come to Bethlehem. Uh, the census had caused everyone to come. And in their houses in that day, everyone typically had an upper room, a place uh, for when strangers came through town that you could put them in, a guest room if you would. And, we, and this, is, this is bizarre to us in so many ways because we don't do this, right? Someone strange comes to town, we don't say, hey, I got a place for you to stay, right? We say, hey, there's a hotel down the roo- road and you can stay there. All right? and so, but in their culture, if someone strange came into town, you invited them to your house. And every house uh, on the first level was usually where the family lived. and It was a small place, but they always had an upper room that they could put guests in. And we read throughout the Bible different stories of guest rooms. Elijah was a prophet who stayed with a widow and her son, and he had a room set aside for him, probably an upper room. At the end of Jesus' life, he will share a meal with his disciples that we call the Last Supper, the one that we uh, memorialize every week. And it takes place in an upper room, probably a guest room. And so these houses, they had them. But because so many people had come, there were no guest rooms left available. The only place that was left available was the place where the animals stayed, in the house. And that is where Jesus is born. A very humble situation. Not what you would expect from the King of Kings. And as he is born, we read in verse 8 that there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. As Jesus is born, we're introduced to these shepherds. Uh, Shepherds were were kind of outcasts of society. They they weren't people that, that usually associated with other people. They spent most of their lives in the field with their sheep, usually by themselves. Every once in a while, they get together and talk amongst themselves, but they really didn't know how to interact with people. And so when people are like that, when they don't know how to interact with other people in society, society tends to push them away, to to keep them at arm's length. And that's what this society did. The shepherds, they were necessary, but they were also kept away. And and oftentimes, they would tell their children that you have to watch out for the shepherds because you never know what they will take from you. So they were outcasts of society, but they were also outcasts of their religion. See, in their religion, to go to the temple, you had to be clean. You couldn't do certain things. You couldn't eat certain things. You couldn't touch certain things. And most people in their lives, if they wanted to go to the temple, they usually only went there about once or twice a year. And in preparation for the week leading up to when they were going to go to the temple and worship God, they would do everything in their ability to remain clean. But shepherds didn't have that luxury. See, shepherds had to stay with their sheep day and night. They didn't have fences to put them in. They had to watch them to keep the wild animals from getting them. And so inevitably... No matter what time it was in the shepherd's life, at some point in time, they would touch something that made them unclean. And they could never worship God at the temple. So these shepherds, they're outcasts of their society, they're outcasts of their religion. But ironically, they were necessary for the worship that took place in the temple. See, the temple, uh, that's where they sacrificed animals. And the town of Bethlehem is located about 10 to 15 miles away from Jerusalem. And so any shepherd that's living in the area of Bethlehem means that they're also living in the area of Jerusalem. And the sheep that they are raising, more likely than not, was destined to be sacrificed. The lambs would be taken to Jerusalem, and they would be slain for the sins of Israel. I mean, this is why the shepherds are there. They are there watching after these sheep that are destined to be a part of a worship that they could never join for a people that they could never be a part of. And it's to these men that the angels appear in verse 9. In verse 9, we read that the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angels, they appear to these shepherds, these people that you would probably at least expect angels to come to. Uh, angels have been appearing throughout the Gospel of Luke up to this point. They come to Zechariah, and they tell Zechariah about the birth of his son. They come to Mary, and they tell Mary about the birth of her son, Jesus. And they come to the shepherds. And we're left with this question, why the shepherds? But I think the answer is, why are the shepherds there in the first place? They are there because of their sheep. They are there raising the lambs that would be slaughtered for the sins of Israel to cover that. And the shepherds are given the message of the Messiah because Jesus has come. The Lamb of God has appeared into history. And Jesus would go about his life, and he would live the perfect life, a sinless life. And yet Israel would take him by the hand and lead him up onto a hill and nail him to a cross. And upon that cross, Jesus would bleed out for the sins of the world. Whether they knew it or not, Israel was waiting for that ultimate sacrifice. See, the Israelites needed a sacrifice to cover their sins. And so God had had created this system where they sacrificed once for their sin, but then they did it over and over and over again. And you can never truly get away from your sin. And it pointed to a time when ultimately a single sacrifice would take it all away. And that sacrifice was Jesus. And so the angels come to the shepherds to let the shepherds know your job is obsolete. The true lamb has come. And they preach a message to them of peace. Peace on men. And this is kind of ironic within that time period because the Roman Empire, they prided themselves on the peace that they had brought the land. The Roman Empire stretched a vast amount of area, one of the largest empires of its time. And throughout that area, if you were within the Roman Empire, you could travel from one one part of the land all the way to the other part, and you wouldn't be afraid of stumbling into a war or getting caught by bandits because there was a peace there. And yet, Israel was still waiting for the true peace. And the angels announced it to the shepherds here, peace on earth. Well, the shepherds hear this message from the angels, and and they don't just stay in their fields. In verse uh, 15, we read that after the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread with the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. So the shepherds, they decided to leave everything behind. And, and I, I'm assuming that they left at least one person there with the sheep. So somebody got the shorter of the straw. But the most majority of them, they went to go see this thing that the angels had proclaimed, And they go, and they find the child, and, and this is a probably a decent-sized town for the period, but again, laying a baby in a manger was not normal. And so they were able to ask people, and they finally come up to Mary and Joseph, and they find it, just as the angel had said. And they didn't know what they did. They went back to their fields and said, man, that was cool. No, that's not what they did, is it? They spread the news, right? All right? They didn't just go back to the fields and we're fine with everything. They went and they told people as they went along. They said, listen to what happened to us. We had angels come. And they told us about the Messiah. And he was a babe laying in a manger. Look at what they said. And it was amazing. Think of your life for just a moment. I mean, when something spectacular happens in your life, what do you do? When we had all of our children, every single time we had a child, we took pictures of that child and we put it on Facebook for the world to see. When we told people for months, we have a new baby, it was news that we didn't keep to ourselves. We shared that news with everyone we came across. A couple years ago, I entered a contest uh, with the soccer team in, in Kansas City. And it was a fan appreciation thing. We sent it on Twitter, like a picture of us at the stadium, and I didn't think anything about it. About two months later, I got a message from them saying I had won the grand prize. Season tickets. Do you know how many people I told that year I got season tickets? I'm sure, I'm sure most of you at some point in time have heard me tell you I had season tickets to Sporting Kansas City. Even to this day, it's one of, the, one of the spectacular things for me. We don't keep amazing stories to ourselves. We don't just internalize and go sit at home and be like, man, my life is awesome. No, we share the awesome things that happen in our lives. And this is exactly what the shepherds do. They share the story. The message of the angels to the shepherds of peace is a message we still need to hear today. Our world is a mess. And if you don't see it that way, I mean, all you have to do is really look on any news channel and you see the messiness that is there. Uh, North Korea is thinking about attacking us with anthrax. It's kind of messy, right? scary Uh, there's fires in california destroying people's homes and livelihood kind of scary if you're a californian Uh, in australia this week they had a car go through people uh, and luckily didn't kill anybody but just ran through a bunch of people our world is scary and we can even take it to our own lives and there are times when life gets scary when sickness comes to family members or to ourselves and we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, when people die that we love very dearly and life can get messy and we need this message of peace. But oftentimes I think we, when we think of peace, we think of a world without conflict, a, a life that has no problem. But the peace that I think the angels are talking about isn't peace where there is no world war, but peace between God and man. See, sin entered the world. And when sin came into the world, it caused an enmity between God and And man, God is a perfect God. He is a good God, and he keeps sin at a distance. And so when humanity began to sin, he kept us at a distance to the point that he created a system to where we could come close to him. He created the high priest to come and sacrifice once a year in the throne room of God. That was it. And it wasn't good enough for God. God wants us to come near to him. And so God sent Jesus to be the long-awaited sacrifice. To be the sacrifice that ultimately brings peace between us and him. Paul talks about it in Romans 5 when he says, uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus came into this world on this Christmas that we celebrate every year because he wanted to bring peace. He wanted us to have this peace that we can only get through his sacrifice. And now that we have that peace, we need to proclaim it. We need to be like the shepherds and proclaim peace wherever we go. Sometimes I think we get so riled up about different things that, that really have nothing to do with anything. And we go on Facebook and we go on Twitter and we make sure that our point of view is heard. But you know who is convinced by our rantings on, on the Internet? No one. And I think the shepherds is a good example of how we should be living our lives. See, the shepherds didn't go back to their fields and say, man, Herod is a terrible king. And he was. I mean, he was killing people left and right. Herod was a terrible king, but that's not what the shepherds went and did. When they had that message of peace, they spread that message to the people. And we're told that the people are amazed because of the message that the shepherds gave. And if we can take a lesson from them, I think the world would be amazed by the message we have, if we focus on that peace between God and man. Peace needs to be proclaimed. And so when we go tomorrow to visit with our family members, and maybe we get along with our family members, but maybe we don't at all. When we're sitting with those family members we don't really like, We should proclaim peace because God wants to be at peace with all men. So let us go into this world and focus on that message that the shepherds brought to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in our lives, help us to focus on the true message that needs to be proclaimed. Help us to talk about peace over anything else Lord, sometimes we get so mixed up in what, what we're supposed to be proclaiming in this world. And it's difficult not to just focus on what is going on in our lives. Help us, Father, to be focused on you. Help us to proclaim peace where we go. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray.